0: Goodbye with a smile, dear Just for a while, dear We must part Don't let this parting upset you I'll not forget you Sweetheart We'll meet again Don't know where don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through just like you always do till the blue skies chase those dark clouds Just say hello to the folks that you know. Tell them you won't be long. They'll be happy to know that as I saw you go, you were singing this song. We'll meet again. The folks that you know tell them you won't be long. They'll be happy to know that as I saw you go, you were singing this song. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know where. But I know we'll meet again, some sunny day.
1: The Force's sweetheart Dame Vera Lynn with We'll Meet Again. I'm Patrick Hart. And I'm Ivan Jackson. Friday, May the 8th, 2020, marks the 75th anniversary of Victory in Europe, or VE Day. And this programme has been made to acknowledge the efforts that all of our communities made during the Second World War to secure peace, both in Europe and across the globe. During the
2: show, we'll be sharing stories of just some of the individuals and communities who made significant contributions to the war effort. And of course, we'll be playing you more evocative music from the era as well.
1: The day celebrates the formal acceptance by the Allies of World War II of Nazi Germany's unconditional surrender of its armed forces on the 8th of May 1945. Adolf Hitler, the Nazi
2: leader, had committed suicide on the 30th of April during the Battle of Britain, and Germany's surrender was authorized by his successor, Reich President Karl Dönitz. The administration headed by Dönitz was known as the Flensburg Government. The act of military surrender was first signed at 2.41 on the 7th of May in Reims and a slightly modified document was signed on the 8th of May
1: in Berlin. Until relatively recently, women, black, Asian and other minority people's stories have been either ignored or rarely told. We heard Dame Vera Lynn at the top of the show with her classic song, We'll Meet Again. But how many people remember or even listen to the music of the black American-born singer and entertainer Adelaide Hall, who eventually made her home in England in 1938?
2: Her long career spanned more than 70 years, from 1921 until her death, and she was a major figure in the Harlem Renaissance. Hall entered the Guinness Book of World Records in 2003 as the world's most enduring recording artist, having released material over eight consecutive decades. She performed with major artists such as Art Tatum, Ethel Waters, Josephine Baker, Louis Armstrong, Lena Horne, Cab Calloway, Fayla Sawande, Rudy Valley, and Jules Holland, and recorded as a jazz singer with Duke Ellington and Fats Waller.
1: During World War II, Hall entertained the the troops in Europe for the United Service Organisations and the British equivalent of the Entertainments National Service Association, in which she served as a captain. On 17 October 1939, the first large-scale variety concert organised by ENSA was staged at the RAF Hendon in North London. Starring on the bill was Adelaide Hall, the Western Brothers and Mantovani with his orchestra. Adelaide recorded in vivid detail the challenges she faced during World War
2: II while entertaining the troops across Europe and in the UK, some of whom were wounded. Sometimes I had to sing without music, but it was a challenge and so rewarding to get all the people to sing with me. At one London performance Hall gave at Lewisham Hippodrome Theatre during the week of the 20th of August in 1940, the Luftwaffe attacked overhead, dropping bombs and. Even though we could hear bombs exploding outside the theatre, we carried on. I'd sung 54 songs until the all-clear sounded at 3.45 in the morning.
3: There
4: goes that song again We used to call We fell in love when we heard it played Over and over and over and over again I still remember when I sang the words and they made you mine I'd steal a kiss and repeat each line over and over and over and over and then We drifted apart You walked off with my heart It's funny how one listen Just starts me reminiscing I'd soon forget that end. I told myself when you said so long, but I was wrong. There goes that song again.
1: With the recent conversation being played out in the media about the Windrush generation and their descendants, it's largely been forgotten that most of those who arrived on the Empire Windrush from the Caribbean were ex-service personnel after serving king and country in World War II. They were invited to Britain to help rebuild a broken country ravished
2: by war. However, people from Africa and the Caribbean were in Britain long before the windrush and even before World War I. In addition, approximately 600,000 Africans fought for Britain in World War II. This is the story of just one of them.
1: At the end of World War II... BOM Bukuki had faced deadly combat in the jungles of Burma and survived fearful ocean crossings stalked by submarines. But even as the young Kenyan put his life on the line for Britain, he and more than half a million other African soldiers drawn from the empire faced harsh discrimination from his own side. Britain paid its soldiers not only according to their rank and
2: length of service, but also their ethnicity according to a documentary made by Al Jazeera English, with black troops receiving a third of the pay of their white contemporaries of the same rank. South Africans were forcibly and secretly conscripted, while others were beaten by their superiors, many ended up in poverty.
1: Former opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn and others have called on the government to make an official apology, to launch an investigation and to compensate the last surviving veterans affected by this controversial policy. During World War II, Britain
2: recruited some 600,000 African men to fight against the Axis powers, from the Italians in the Horn of Africa to Vichy, French forces in Madagascar to the Imperial Japanese Army in Burma, now known as Myanmar. But when the fighting was over, Britain sent these men back home with an end-of-war bonus that was roughly a third of the reward given to their white counterparts.
1: When I got out, they gave me nothing, said the Burma campaign veteran Mabuki, who was 100 years old when he spoke out and was living in poverty in rural Kenya. They should have known how much we'd helped them. They would have given something, but that was not the case. We were abandoned, just like that.
2: This is not the first time that the British government has been accused of discriminating against soldiers drawn from its former empire. In 2009, Gurkha veterans, former servicemen of Nepalese ethnicity who'd fought for Britain, won the right to settle in the United Kingdom after a high court
5: battle. The bugle called and forth we went to serve the crown our backs far bent and build what were that must be done but ne'er to fire an angry gun No heroes we, no nay, not one With deep lament we did our job Despite the shame our manhood robbed We built and fixed and fixed again To prove our worth as proud black men And hasten sure the Kaiser's end From Scotshire port to Seaford Square Across to France the conflict there. At ville le and Place-Perone, For God and King to right the wrong, The number two, six hundred strong. Stripped to the waist and sweated chest, Midday's reprieve, much needed rest. We dug and hauled and lifted high, From trenches deep toward the sky. Non-fighting troops, And yet we die The peace restored, the battle won Black sweat and toil had beat the Hun Black blood was spilled, black bodies maimed For medals brave no black was named Yet proud we were, our pride unshamed But time will bring forth other wars They give to us more daring chores that we might prove our courage strong, preserve the right, repeal the wrong, and proud will sing the battle song.
1: Marcus Smith reciting The Black Soldier's Lament by George A. Borden. In the years just before and during World War II, the Andrews Sisters were at the height
2: of their popularity, and the group still tends to be associated in the public's mind uh, with the war years. They had numerous hit records during these years as well, including this one. <laughs>
6: If you ever go down Trinidad, they make you feel so very glad. Calypso, sing and make up rhyme, guarantee you one real good fine time. Drinking rum and Coca-Cola, go down Poincumana, both mother and mother. Trinidad, they got the young girls all going mad. Young girls say they treat them nice. Make Trinidad like paradise, drinking rum and coca You carry to Mona's Isle. Native girls all dance and smile. Helps Ocha celebrate his leave. Makes every day like New Year's Eve. Drinking rum and Coca Cola. Go down Point Kumana. Both mother and daughter. Working for the Yankee Dollar. Oh, it's a fact, Mom. It's a fact in old trinidad i also fear the situation is mighty queer like the yankee girls the native swoon when she hears her bingo croon drinking rum and coca-cola go down point both mother and daughter working for the yankee dollar Beach GI romance with native peach all night long. Make tropic love the next day. Sit in hot sun and cool off. Drink and run and coca cola. Go down for Coo Both mother. Rum and Coca-Cola, rum and Coca-Cola, working
1: for the Yankee dollar. In July 1940, the UK's East African force had lobbied for commanders to have authority to order corporal punishment, a summary punishment saying, For the punishment of African natives to be effective, it is essential that it should follow immediately upon commission of the offence. Their memories are short, with the result that delayed punishment is resented and is clearly connected in their minds with a specific offence. The public flogging of
2: African soldiers for petty crimes, illegal in the main British army since 1881, led to a formal complaint in 1943 from an English-born missionary with threats to go public with allegations of sadism. Such abuse was not formally abolished in Kenya until December 1946, but was still permitted in military prisons until April 1948.
1: While the majority of the men were volunteers, Many were forcibly conscripted. During the war, colonial officials were desperate to raise troop numbers, so would often urge local chiefs to find their men, whatever the cost. This resulted in African men being sent to the firing line against their will. Grace Mbite,
2: a 94-year-old widow living in the Highlands near Nairobi, remembers how one press gang snatched her husband from the village and sent him off to North Africa. "'Where could you hide? It would just happen suddenly one morning,' she said. "'If you hid, they would just come back another day. "'We cried a lot when we heard he'd been captured.'" Her husband did eventually return, but was profoundly traumatised by the horrors of war.
1: Rates of war gratuities were starkly different for white and black soldiers. A white private could earn 10 shillings for each month of service. For a black soldier of the same rank just three and a half shillings. White corporals would get 12 shillings per month of service, for black corporals, just four shillings. Fearing that any threat to the racial order, Britain barred its African soldiers from reaching higher ranks during the colonial period. The most senior position open to them was warrant officer class one, which could earn them a war gratuity of six shillings a month of service. 30% of the sum on offer to white officers of the same class. Stringent rules governing Britain's colonial forces also prohibited these more senior African soldiers from disciplining lower-ranking white troops. Even higher-ranking black soldiers were expected to address the lowest white private as Sir, irrespective of rank, Asian personnel recruited in British East Africa all
2: earned seven and a half shillings for each month of enlisted service, less than their white comrades and more than their African ones, a reflection of the racial hierarchy that Imperial Britain had enshrined in its colonies. <laughs>
7: of boys would storm up, I had to lock my door, somehow I couldn't warm up to one before, what was it that controlled me, what kept my love life lean, my intuition told me you'd come on the scene. If you listen to the rhythm of my heartbeat, you will get just what I Heart grew tipsy in me. You and you alone bring out the gypsy in me. I love all the many charms about you. Above all, I want my arms about you. to baby come to baby do my sweet embraceable
8: you embrace me my sweet embraceable you I find you so delectable,
7: dear I'm afraid it isn't quite respectable, dear But hang it, come on, let's glorify love Papa, come to Papa, do my sweet
3: embrace. Above
1: you. Here's a clip from a BBC documentary on Indians in World War II. Listeners will find some of the language racially offensive.
8: Republic public day, Delhi, Indian troops celebrate independence from the British crown by beating retreat. But the parade owes much more to British tradition than it does to India. Sixty years ago, this was an army under British command. During the Second World War, two and a half million troops from India, Pakistan and the rest of the subcontinent formed the biggest volunteer army in the history of the world. It is an army that some Britons choose to ignore.
9: I can eat what I want, I can drink what I want, I can say what I want, it's a free country. That's why all our troops, our troops, died at Dunkirk. There's no package at Dunkirk, An Anzio, an Arnhem, and Monte Cassino. Lots of black people died in those Not battles. Not at Dunkirk, my friend, oh, no, look, look, the no, cro- no. the Commonwealth.: My dark. brother
8: was at all these places. but the stained glass at sandhurst tells a different story during world war two indian troops fought across three continents under the union jack they were at dunkirk they fought at monte cassino they fought to save british democracy even though under british rule they were denied it themselves When Britain declared war on Germany in 1939 the British viceroy in Delhi told 350 million Indians they were at war too
9: their declared policy was that they were fighting for the freedom of the humanity of humanity so we used to mock this news that what false statement it is we are we Indians not human beings our uh, leaders they are fighting for freedom since long but they throw small crumbs to us and they do not talk of India's freedom
8: the prejudice went to the top of the imperial government Churchill did not disguise his dislike for Indians when in 1942 the Indian Congress party failed to support the British war effort Churchill retorted I hate Indians They are a beastly people with a beastly religion.
9: He considered Indians as inferior, and he considered Indians as corrupt people, unreliable.
8: Churchill distrusted the loyalty of Indian soldiers and opposed a large Indian army. But the few Indian troops who were at Dunkirk in May 1940 impressed British officers with their discipline in the midst of a chaotic retreat. There were not enough British troops to spare to defend the empire.
9: Additional films on the capture of Mandalay. Thunderbolts and RAF hurry bombers strike at Japs entrenched in the strongly fortified walls of Fort Duffer.
8: After the capture of Mandalay in March 1945, as they approached Rangoon, the Indian Army met the last fighting division of the INA.
9: We had a spirit that we are fighting for a cause. And we never felt that we have no good food and no though we had inferior food and inferior clothing than british indian army but in spite of that we were happy our slogan was last man last bullet
10: prayer that you'll make love to me. Of a man, oh where can you be
1: even though the war had ended in europe it raged on for another four months elsewhere Havildar lachman gurung won the victoria cross while serving with the gurkha rifles in burma in 1945 at 1:20 a.m. in the early hours of the 13th of may 1945 more than 200 japanese attacked the company position near irudi river Garand was manning a strategically crucial post and tried to throw grenades back where they had come from. But the third weapon exploded in his hand, blowing off his fingers, shattering his right arm and severely wounding him in the face, body and right leg. He continued firing regardless
2: and maintained his post on his own until the 15th of May, helping to force the Japanese into defeat. Gurung later said, I had to fight because there was no other way. I felt I was going to die anyway, so I might as well die standing on my feet. He went on to become a prominent figure in the successful campaign led by the actress Joanna Lumley to allow former Gurkhas to settle in Britain.
1: Next, we take you back to March the 8th, 1941. Under the piercing wail of air-raid sirens, a handsome 26-year-old male dashes down Piccadilly and through the back streets of the West End. Bombs are falling around him. Buckingham Palace has been hit, but the young man, a jazz bandleader, has a 10 o'clock set to perform at the Café de Paris, London's swankiest night spot, and his celebrated all-black swing orchestra are waiting for him. As both the frontman
2: and star, whose image adorns the popular sheet music of the day and whose hot swing sounds can be heard nightly on the BBC, it will not do for him to be late, blitz or no blitz. Safely, he reaches the doors of the Café de Paris, just in the nick of time. Moments later, he's 20 foot underground. Every night, glamorous crowds, including the Aga Khan, the Mountbattens, and Cole Porter, flock here to forget the tribulations of the war that rages above.
1: Charismatic, gifted, ambitious, Ken Snakehips Johnson is arguably the first superstar of British jazz. At exactly 10pm, this protégé of the American swingmasters Cab Calloway, Fletcher Henderson and Buddy Bradley, raises his baton and his band kick into the opening bars of their signature tune, Oh Johnny. The room explodes, literally,
2: against unimaginable odds. Two Luftwaffe bombs have fallen through the ventilation shaft of the Rialto Cinema up above, landing directly in front of the dance floor. Before Oh Johnny is out, dozens are dead. The blast sucking the air from their lungs so instantaneously that many remained eternally frozen in their dancing positions like eerie Pompeii jitterbuggers. Ken Snake Hips Johnson is among the victims. Mavis Beatty was one of the leading female codebreakers at Bletchley Park, cracking the Enigma ciphers that led to the Royal Navy's victory at Matapan in 1941. Aged just 19 when she was recruited to the highly secretive assignment, she was one of the great Bletchley break-in experts who found their way into new codes and ciphers that had never been broken
1: before. Beatty also played a leading role in the cracking of the extraordinarily complex German secret service – or Abwehr Enigma. Without that break, the double-cross deception plan, which ensured the success of the D-Day landings could never have gone ahead. But she couldn’t reveal what she’d done during the war until the 1970s when the significance of Bletchley Park was eventually disclosed. Next up, some music from Glenn Miller. Here We Go
2: Again was composed by Jerry Gray, the arranger in the Glen Miller Orchestra. The recording reached number 25 on the Billboard Pop Singles Chart in April 1944 in a one-week chart run. The song was also performed by Glenn Miller with the Army Air Force Band and the instrumental was recorded at Victor Studios in Chicago on Tuesday, July 14, 1942.
1: This instrumental was part of the last recording session by the Glenn Miller Civilian Band due to the dispute between the American Federation of Musicians and the recording companies. A ban on recording was imposed by the union on its members in 1942. The instrumental would not be released until 1944. A plane carrying Miller to Paris on the 5th of December 1944 disappeared over the English Channel. It was never found and Miller was posthumously awarded the US Bronze Star. We're going to end our special BCFM celebration of VE Day with some diary entries from Mary Mitchell, then Mary Derrick, who was 20 years old at the time, working at the
11: Education Department in Bristol May 7 1945 Terrific excitement Rumours of VE Day Shampooed my hair, went to bed at 12. May 8 1945 VE Day at last Went up to Grace's at Redland at 11 o'clock. Down to centre. Climbed up Cabot Tower. To Corn Street. Saw Lord Major at centre. Back to Grace's for tea. Up to Downs Marquee, Back to Grace's. Walked from Redland to centre. Hundreds of people. Left centre at about 12. Walked home. Bed at 3 a.m. May nine. 1945. Celebrations continued. Went to the news theatre. Up to Bernie's for ice cream. That was a real treat. Down to the centre. Christmas steps. Horse fair. Odeon. Centre. Danced round a policeman and tipped his helmet off. That was very daring in those days. Everyone was marching round and round. There were lights and joy and excitement. Ticker tape from the printing machines was showering down from the evening world building on the centre. I still have two pieces of this ticker tape. Shall never forget the day.
1: Commenting on her diary entries in the BBC archive, Mary went on to say, It was just complete joy. There was no vandalism. Everyone was so happy. It was amazing how we did this in one day. War is a dreadful thing, and I hope it never happens again.
8: In September 1940, Graziani invaded Egypt, but didn't get far. Outnumbered 5 to 1, a largely Indian force of 20,000 men under the command of General Wavell defeated the Italians, bringing the British public news of the first land victories of the war.
9: We were providing them a bit of a boost because of the victory, and that was sadly needed at that time, following Dunkirk. It's not bad, you know, when you, when you think that the Indians were fighting uh, on a foreign soil for the Empire's cause, not their own country's cause at all. Uh, their performance was very good indeed, wasn't it? Their loyalty was very good indeed.
3: <laughs>
2: go out to Marcus Smith, Stephen Bourne, Jack Losh, Clemency Burton-Hill, Sherry Eugene Hart, Al Jazeera English and the BBC Archive, whose help and or research was used to help make this programme.
0: Let's say goodbye with a smiley Just for a while, dear Don't let this parting upset you I'll not forget you
12: an African-American song, 19th century, which um, is so great. It says, When it looked like the sun wasn't gonna shine anymore, God put a rainbow in the clouds. Imagine. And I've had so many rainbows in my clouds. I had a lot of clouds. But I have had so many rainbows, and one of the things I do when I step up on a stage, when I stand up to translate, when I go to teach my classes, when I go to direct a movie, I bring everyone who has ever been kind to me with me. Black, white, Asian, Spanish-speaking, Native American, gay, straight, everybody. I say, come with me. I'm going on the stage. Come with me. I need you now long dead, you see? So I don't ever feel I have no help. I've had rainbows in my clouds. And the thing to do, it seems to me, is to prepare yourself so that you can be a rainbow in somebody else's cloud, somebody who may not look like you, may not call God the same name you call God, if they call God at all, (laughs) you see? I may not eat the same dishes prepared the way you do, may not dance your dances or speak your language, but be a blessing to somebody. That's what I think.